Today, I want to talk about reacting to Jesus. You see, there's a lot of people in the world that have had access to Jesus, have access to his message. Most of us here in the United States hear about Jesus all the time. You drive down certain streets, you see churches, you meet people that are Christians, you hear the good word about Jesus, maybe you've seen a Gideon Bible, and people react in different ways. They react like, hey, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, Jesus, or they react of, get away from me, I want nothing to do with this craziness. And we want to talk today about why is that? Why is it, and you've seen it before, why is it that the person that seems to have the greatest need for something will turn away from it? The biggest example that always comes to my mind, and I've talked to enough lifeguards, when somebody is drowning and somebody tries to help them, that person will fight that person hard. They will fight that person and say, get away from me. And basically the lifeguard always has to fight the person to save them from themselves. And we've all done that before too, where we're trying to save somebody and you're telling them, don't go that direction. And people will go the wrong direction or they'll go towards what's not right. And we need to understand that God is calling us to go and minister, but we also are being called to react. When Jesus comes to us, just for the rest of us, just so you know, we might be saying to ourselves, God, I don't want you in that area of my life. You can have everything, but don't come in that area of my life. We'd rather have you go away, Jesus. I want to have Jesus that fits in my little category. I want to have Jesus that doesn't push in areas that make me uncomfortable. I want to still be the king of this area. I don't want to have Jesus be the king. And so today I'm going to talk to a story about how Jesus came and he ministered to a certain group or a certain man. And there's going to be a whole group of people and different groups that he's going to talk to. And I want to go through the encounters that he had with these people and see the reactions that they have and then see how we can apply these to our lives. How can we apply the reactions of these people to ourselves? So let's start with the story. It starts from chapter Mark chapter 5. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. Now, he's going to the other side of the lake. Jesus is going. He's not limited to one side of the sea. One commentator said this is a daring invasion because Jesus is taking the gospel to another to the alien turf. He's taking it to the enemy turf. He's taking it to him. And also what we're going to see at this is that he's going across the sea and now as he's invading that Satan's going to try to stop him at every step. You see, because this is a Gentile area and Gentiles are not considered, are, are outside of God's plan at this time, are in the Old Testament for most Jews. They would say that. They were not the chosen people. And this is the area where most people are going to be uh, not accustomed to God, accustomed to what he can do. And so he's going to go into this area and bring the gospel to them. And what he's going to bring to them is grace. He's going to bring to them what there's a doctrine called prevenient grace. He is going to bring to them what they have not asked for, what they have not sought, and what they don't deserve. That's grace. And the first thing we need to kind of see is that Jesus goes where he's not wanted, not looked for, not even going to be accepted. Because Jesus cares for every single person. I mean, Jesus could have stayed and said, you know, why would I go to those people? They're mean. 
because honestly they were mean. And they're the ones who are, are, they're raising pigs. Now, you have to understand in a Jewish person, if you ever meet a Jewish person, do not offer them a bacon cheeseburger. Okay, just don't do that. Uh, For them, eating pork is bad. Eating cheese and meat together is bad. So it's kind of like a bad combination. And so pork right here, I mean, they're raising pigs. These are the, they would be considered the outsiders and people that are against what God wants. But God seeks out people that have never sought out him. And aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful the fact that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He looked at you and didn't say, well, thank God John Hubert's going to be there someday. And he's so good. Okay? That's a joke, by the way. You need to laugh at that. Um, and say to yourself, you know, he, he, he doesn't have any problems. And I'm going to go find him because he's deserving of it. None of us are deserving of God. None of us, all of us are the people raising pigs. Okay? All of us are the ones that are outside of this. But Christ comes to us and offers grace to people that don't deserve it. What a wonderful thing. And when it says, when Jesus stepped out of the boat, verse 2, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I'm just going to read through verse 5. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he often, had often been bound with shackles and chains, But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So the next thing that we see is we see a man who comes running up to Jesus who is oppressed by demons. He comes running up to Jesus, and a man of an unclean spirit comes right to him immediately. And what's interesting about Jesus is he attracts people that he, the demons run to Jesus faster than the people that should have been more open to him. Why do the demons want to come to him? Why are they, ex- they understand who he is. And it's just kind of one of the interesting things that he throws out there. They come to him right away. And not only is this man oppressed by demons, he is among the tombs. Among the tombs is the, is the cursed area. For everybody who's reading this, remember, we're reading this now, 2,000 years after it was written. For an audience, we don't understand completely what it was like to be in this first century. But for first century people, they would have said, he was in the tombs? You mean there was a guy in the tombs? And right away, they would have thought of somebody who was cursed. Because it would have said, he, he might have touched dead bodies? Now, we still kind of have that today. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I always wanted to have a service in a cemetery. Well, I was always kind of a weird youth pastor. That shouldn't shock anybody. But one of the things about Christians, and one of the places that Christians used to hide when the Romans were after them, they would hide in the catacombs. Because Christians were not afraid of dead bodies. And the, the, the soldiers would be chasing them. The Christians would go down in the catacombs. The soldiers were like, that's enough for me. I'm going home. Okay? So they'd have their services amongst dead bodies. But before this time, people would say, he's amongst dead bodies, he's cursed. He was also amongst the tomb because nobody wanted him, and the only place he could go was amongst the tombs. And they were scared of him. They tried to, there's a human attempt to contain evil right here. No one could bind him anymore. And the word here for bind is actually tame. 
Now, if you've ever had an animal, this is what you try to do is tame an animal, right? Have you ever tried to tame your dog? If you're me, you don't do it successfully, okay? I am not the best at taming dogs. I've seen people that are just amazing at doing it, but they are trying to tame him like he is an animal, and they are losing. They're using a chain. They put him in shackles and chains, and he is so strong with what is going on, he is breaking off chains off of him. Now, what you see here is something incredible going on that this man has something supernatural going on with him because they cannot break, they can break the chains. Their attempt to tame him, notice the one thing they did not attempt to do was to fix his problem. They didn't try to fix what was going on and say, how can we reach out to this guy? It was basically, he's driving us crazy. Let's try to tame, let's try to tame him. Let's try to keep him from being so weird. Let's put some chains on him because this is what humans do. We don't, we don't have the ability to set people free. All we have the ability to do is try to keep them down. And so only Christ is going to be able to come in and fix this situation. He has needed a power greater than chains to tame him. So we see night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. Not only is he amongst the tombs, he uses the term mountains here because mountains were a place of danger. Mountains were the place that danger was uh, always seen. He was crying out. And what was he crying out for? He had no idea. Have you ever cried out and you have no idea what you're crying out for? You're just hurting? If you've ever had a baby and they cry and you look at them and what is your response? What do you want? Have any parents ever talked to their baby that way? They never respond. You know, I've had three kids, and you'd think at one point one of them would have said, here's what I need, Dad. I'm six months old. Here's what will make me happy. Okay? But it's that same imagery right here, is the fact that he's crying out and saying, I'm in need, I'm in need, I'm in need, and he's just crying out in pain. He's all alone. He's hurting himself. Okay? He, he's hurting himself because the demons inside him are causing him to destroy himself. He is all alone, no one to love him, and no one to love. Okay? Evil, what we need to understand about this, evil destroys humanity. If you want to see what evil does, see what happens when somebody's under the influence of evil, how it destroys their humanity. It destroys their goodness. It destroys who they are. Human, why is he unable to work with his family? Because evil has taken over his life. It destroys families. It destroys. Why do we see so much heartache and pain in our country, in our world, amongst families, among relationships? It's seen right here. Evil. Evil destroys what should have been good. We shouldn't have uh, the strains in marriages. We shouldn't have the strains between parents and children. We shouldn't have all the abuse that goes on. But it's evil that is in our world. For the world is stuck in a state. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. In other words, our whole creation is groaning. It's groaning and it's saying we're, it's hurting. There's evil going on in this world. I think when we look around, we know that there's evil going on. 
We know that things are going bad. And then he has an encounter with the unclean spirits. Verse, let's just read verse 6 through 13. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was, not, for he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. Let's just look back at the story. So here's what happens. This man saw Jesus, we kind of see now, and he falls down in front of him. Okay? And what we see already is the demons trying to get the upper hand on Jesus. Because the reason they fall down, we think, is for one of two reasons. They're fall, he, they make the guy fall down so that he'll believe either that, that he's worshiping Jesus or that he is um, basically giving fake submission to Jesus. The demons know they're, they're outmatched by Jesus, but they will try every trick they can to try to get back at Jesus. They will try every trick they can to get around Jesus. And we need to understand that in our lives today. No demon, no power of evil has power over us. Do you believe that? But every power of evil will use every trick they can to try to get you to think that that's not true. You need to understand this from this verse. They will, you know, they will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will do everything they can to tell you. I'll hear people all the time, I am worthless. I am, nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, I do not have value in this world. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Okay? They just are. Yet we accept them, like that these are some magical, wonderful words that were given. They're not true. You have value. And crying out with a loud voice, they say, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So the next trick that the demons try, remember the demons will try to trick us just like they tried to trick Jesus. Now, tricking Jesus is not a good plan, and they're going to find this out, but understand that this is what evil does. They switch from the singular to the plural. The demons are manipulating this guy. We'll find out why later. They tried to use tricks. They tried using his name. Remember, that was an exorcist trick. The exorcist at that time would try to find out the name of Jesus, what the name of a demon was, and if they could do that, they thought they could drive him out. And they also, they also used the name of God to try to keep the Son of God from destroying them, even when they tortured a human. So here's what they do. They come and they ask for mercy from God in heaven so that the Son of God does not destroy them, although they will destroy anything in their sight. This is the nature of evil in this world. People that destroy other people want mercy in their lives from God, but they don't want to be subject to, to being you know, used and being good to other people. Do not torment me, they're saying. 
So they're going to use God. They're going to say, Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to them, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. This is probably one of the more difficult uh, casting out of demons that Jesus does. And so Jesus looks at him and does something that you are not supposed to do. Okay? And I say this from experience. When I was at North Central, um, we would have uh, prayer times. And sometimes we would go out into a local service. And I remember there would be um, always a kid, maybe at a youth service, that would say he was demon-possessed. And I would hear people from North Central yell, What is your name? What is your name? What is your name? And they would say, Well, that's what Jesus did. And what's interesting is Jesus never asked the name of a demon ever again. The only reason he asked for the name of the demon right here was to make a mockery of the name of the demon. And every other demon possession that happens, or demon exorcism that happens after this time, Jesus never asked for the name of the demon. But I've heard people say, well, we need to find out the name. You know what you're doing by doing that? You're playing the tricks of the demons. You're becoming, and remember, because we would just, we, then we went back to class and the teacher would say, okay, what you did was wrong. Here's why. Don't do that ever again. Because they taught us that that wasn't what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be communicating with demons. We're not supposed to try to get into tricks with them. We're not supposed to get into screaming matches with them. I've seen people, if there's a demon, you've got like 600 people almost just doing, you know, WWE moves on them, that kid. Ah, we're going to get you demon and stuff like that. It's like, no, we don't do tricks to demons. All right? But you, I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen it at youth camp. Anybody, if you've ever been a youth pastor, it's like, Okay, we need to take these guys aside and say, this isn't what we do with demons. We do what Jesus said. Jesus is in complete and total control of this situation. You see the Apostle Paul, when he comes against a demonized person, complete and total control. There is no war, or there's no battle going on. So Jesus says, what is your name? And what does a demon do? You can know that they're going to be lying when their lips are moving kind of thing. Does he give him his name? No. He says, we are many or legion. He just says, there's a lot of us, just so you know. So he asks a simple question. So if you're trying to say, well, we need to find out the name of the demon to cast him out, the demon doesn't even tell him the name. Just says, we're legion or a lot of us, for we are many. And demons are trying to equal and say that they can really take on Jesus. They say, look at us, there's a lot of us. And in a Jewish mindset, they would look at this and say, yeah, of course this is happening because this is in a Gentile area where there's a lot of demons. And the next thing is something that really should strike you. Verse 10 tells us about our world and maybe our relationship with Christ too. And it says, and he begged them, him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Who's saying that right there? The man who is demon-possessed is asking Jesus not to send the demons too far. And this is the part, I think, that we struggle with in our world. People right in front of him, he has the salvation of his life. He has the opportunity to be set free from demons. And what is his reaction to Jesus? Just don't send them too far. I might want them again. I don't want them to go too far. I don't want the demons, I don't want the sin in my life to go too far away. Again, because then it starts to feel real, right? 
I don't want it to go too far away. God, don't get rid of all of it. Maybe I want a little bit of it back. Maybe just the stuff, maybe you can just come and do little stuff for me that I like. You see, because Jesus is coming to get rid of all the demons. Jesus is coming to transform this man's life. And this man begs him to stop. And we, how many times have we done that with Jesus when he's come to us? For some of us here, maybe we've been saved for many years. But for some of us, we took years of God coming to us and saying, do you want to get saved? And we're like, no. Do you want to get saved? No. How about now? No. How about now? No. Get away from me, Jesus. Get away from me, Jesus. And finally, we accept him. We're like, what took us so long? Okay, I have this story. I have a friend. He was with my doctoral program with me. And for three years, we're in the doctoral program. And there's this trip we take with Matt's dad. And we go to Cancun. Okay, it's a bunch of pastors that get to go to Cancun. It's not a bad deal. Matt was there this year, I saw him. And we don't have to pay for it. And we get to hang out with guys like Matt. And, I'm, and I had this friend. He's at a large church in Tennessee. And I kept telling him, I can sign you up. I can get you there. Nah, I don't know, John. I'm not sure about this. Second year, I can sign you up, Mike. I can sign you up. Nah, third year, I can sign you up. Well, maybe. He finally talks to Matt's dad. Every single day we were in Cancun, you know what he did to me? I should have listened to you three years ago. What was I thinking? We get to go to Cancun as a group of pastors and be around all these great guys and raise money to build Bible schools throughout the world in Cancun where it's warm in January. And I thought to myself, what a good example of what it is in Christ. We're the same way. Christ has come up to us and goes, I can take care of this problem in your life. Nah, that's all right. I can take care of this. Nah, I, I, nah, nah. And then when Christ takes care of it, you're like, what was I thinking? When this man is set free, do you think he looks at this time as one of his proudest moments? He's probably thinking to himself, why did I ask Jesus not to do this? But he did. And they don't, they don't want to be without a host. Verse 11 goes on further. A great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now pigs were unclean for Jews. In fact, the, Roman, or the Greeks had used these to uh, force, and they sacrificed on an altar. There's a whole thing that goes on. But pigs are very unclean for Jewish people. And Jesus said, gave them permission to enter the pigs. He didn't send them to the pigs. He gave them permission. And what happens is the demons rush out of the person, they go into the pigs, and because demons and pigs, neither one of them are that bright, they end up running off a cliff and killing them all. Okay? So everything that we see from the story is not only are the pigs destroyed, the demons destroy themselves because they only know one thing, destruction. They go into pigs, they destroy the pigs and themselves, and they're basically taken advantage. So Jesus says, go ahead, kill yourself. Jesus gives them permission. But we need to understand this. We, some are disturbed by the loss of the pigs here, but we need to understand that we are worth more to Jesus than thousands and thousands of dollars worth of pigs. Because there are people that look at this story. I've heard that, I read this in a commentary. They said that pastors won't preach this because they're worried that people will be upset about the pigs who die. And I thought to myself, you could have fished them out and made bacon out of them anyways. I mean, come on. They're in the, I mean, you could have gone fishing expeditions. There's ways to do this. But 
Jesus cares more about one person than about anything. The wealth. Anything that's out there, he cares more about you. The next thing is the encounter with the townspeople. The herdsmen fled and told, this, told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what was happening, what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw a demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Okay, I've always read this story, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I study this, I don't study, I haven't studied it close enough in my past. And when then I finally get to preaching on it, I'm like, what, how I read this was completely wrong. Why are the people afraid? If you look at the end of verse 15, it says, and they were afraid. Now, I thought they were afraid because they lost their pigs, right? No, they're afraid of seeing somebody that was demon-possessed sitting there in his right mind, clothed in his right mind, sitting in front of him. That scared them. And you think to yourself, why would somebody be scared to see somebody that's been set free and transformed? What does that scare them? Because their attempts, a couple things come to mind, their attempts have failed. It scares people that you can say to somebody that, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of Christ can change somebody and all of our worldly methods won't work and it's offensive to us to think there's somebody who's better than us and we might need somebody else besides ourselves to solve our problems because we're stubborn. Okay, Father's Day is coming up which is the honoring of men who don't like to ask for directions, right? Isn't that what men are known for? Why? Because we don't want to think that there's somebody out there that knows something more than we do. Every man here is like going amen to that. I mean, come on. All right, so we need to understand this in this context right here. We couldn't fix him. Who does this guy is? We're afraid of him. He's able to do it. They hear the story of what Jesus does with the word, and they are afraid. I mean, he just said a word, and he was gone? They do not rejoice for the man or for themselves. They don't even look at it and say, well, we're at least happy for the guy. Their first reaction is, get this guy out of here. How about this? If this man can fix, if Jesus can fix this man so well, I'm looking at that going, maybe he can help me in my problems in my life. But what is their reaction? No. I'd rather just keep my own. I'd rather just keep my own stuff. I don't want to have to have Jesus take over. Remember, the disciples had fear of Jesus too and the power of him. And they were filled with great fear, it says in Mark 4.41, after the sea had been calmed. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So their concern, it goes even further, their concern was greater for the pigs and the farmer than for the man. The demons begged Jesus to let them stay in the region and Jesus got them out of the region, but the townspeople would rather have Jesus go then the demons go. Have you ever wondered that in your life? Why do people prefer evil over Jesus? And in this condition where you're seeing the worst evil that it is, it's not just now, it's always been this way. People look to demons and say, well, at least we have somewhat of an idea what those are. But this Jesus is new 
And he has too much power. And what if he asks us to become something we're not comfortable being? He asked him that. He is more dangerous to them than the demons. And it could become because of their business profits. They thought to themselves, well, what if this costs us our profit? What if we have to change? What if we have to give up pig farming? Because this man is a Jew, and we like making pigs, and the Jews don't have pigs. What if we have to give up farming? It's not worth the money just to see a person set free. There was an illustration that was done. Um, and it was or a story about Harriet Beecher Stowe. And if you know her, she wrote uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And her husband's name was Kelvin Stowe, was a professor of biblical studies. And Harriet Beecher Stowe was touring England. And when she was touring England, he preached before a large group gathered to observe Anti-Slavery Day. You see, because the British beat, beat us to it about getting rid of slavery, which was good. And he told the listeners in no uncertain terms that they were hypocrites. He says, you're proud that slavery had long since disappeared in England, but 80% of the cotton picked by the slaves in the southern states was bought by England. He said slavery would die in America if England would boycott its cotton and went on to ask, are you willing to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? You know what the crowd reacted? They booed him off the stage. We're not willing to give up one ounce of our profit because we'd rather have the cheap goods than see somebody set free. You see, it's still true today. We'd rather have our own way. There's great evil in the world. And the only answer to the great evil in the world is Jesus Christ. But what is it that our governments, what is it that our organizations, what is it that everybody's trying to get away from? Don't give me Jesus. I want another solution. Jesus can set you free from that addiction. Just give me something else. Jesus can help your family grow stronger together. I don't want that. Give me something else. Why? Because we're more comfortable with the something else. We're more comfortable with this world. We're just like this crowd. And when you feel resistance to the gospel and you say to yourself, don't you understand, if you have Jesus in your life, you will be set free, people say, but I'd rather have something that I can keep control of. I don't care if it's destroying my family, it's destroying me, at least I get to be in, I think that I'm in charge. Because as we see from the demonized person, he's not in charge. And finally, we have the encounter with the restored man. And as he was getting into the boat, talking about Jesus, the man who, possess, who was possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The fear of Jesus is gone with the demons gone. The man is set free. He is seated as a disciple with Jesus. I don't think we understand that. This is a person that nobody knew what to do with. This is a person that the social organizations of his time, which their solution was to chain him up, okay, couldn't handle. And Jesus came in and with a word took care of him. And what does Jesus say to him? You're free now. Go amongst your friends and tell them about Jesus. And what we need to understand about this is Jesus wanted to start the mission right here and say, your story about what happened to you is going to make a big impact with your friends. 
I tell people this over and over again. If Jesus would have gone to every single person in the Gentiles and tried to preach to them, they probably wouldn't have listened. But this man, who everybody knew was demonized, comes to them and says, Jesus, lives, Jesus has transformed me. He has set me free. It's going to change their lives. And I will tell you this is still true for you today. This message is still true today. For you. You may say, Pastor, if you could just come to work with me, or if you could just send a professional evangelist with me, I will tell you this. They would probably look at me like they looked at Jesus or worse, because I'm no Jesus. And they would say, who's this guy? Why are we listening to him? We'll listen to you. When they see your life transformed in the workplace, when they see your life transformed, they're going to listen to you. When they see what happens to you when things go bad and how you react to it different, they're going to look for deliverance. Because the world is looking for someone to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be somebody that's a friend. 95% of people that come to know Jesus Christ come to know him by the invitation of a friend. They do not come because we put on a big campaign, which is not a bad thing. Those aren't bad things. And Billy Graham and and himself would even admit this. 95% because somebody they knew and trusted. Because let's be honest. Somebody comes up to you with some weird religion. I've had people approach me on the street. I had the Hare Krishnas approach me when I was at the University of Minnesota. And the first thing I wanted to do was just, wow, okay. This is just strange. And it was, but I'm just saying And when you come up and say, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ who lived 2,000 years ago and died on the cross and rose again, you'll be like, okay, that's nice. Um, Let me go over here and you stay over there. That's the way the world's going to respond. Not just in Djibouti, but everywhere. Okay? So we need to understand this. Um, We need to bring the gospel to people. We need to follow this command of Jesus. What can we do? How can we bring the gospel out there and tell people how we've been transformed by his gospel? Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward. I have news that's not popular in our world today. What's not popular in our world is we are under one of two gods in this world. One of two spiritual forces in this world. There is no one that you see that is free of the influence of spiritual forces. If you are outside of Christ, Ephesians is very clear, you are a slave to sin, you are a slave to the powers of this world. That is not popular. People want to think, I'm free. I get my own way. I am, I've got it all together. No, you're a slave to the power of sin. You're a slave to the powers of this world. There's only one way to be set free, and that's to be set free by Jesus Christ. And if you've never been set free by him, you are enslaved to this world. You are enslaved to the powers. You have no hope over sin because you don't have any power over sin. And if you're here today and you've never made the commitment to Jesus Christ, you never ask him to come into your life and set, set you free. You never ask him to, take out of, to, start, to start rooting out the evil in your life. 
You need to come and talk to one of our prayer ministers about it. But for the rest of us, the two things I want you to know is that the evil is real in this world and that we have a message to bring that God has transformed us. Now for some of us, the transforming message, like this man at the end here, the demon-possessed man, is going to be dramatic. I mean, this is a guy that you want to bring into your church, right? Okay, I'm the guy that was howling up in the tomb. We're having him speak at our church next week. We're doing eight services that time, okay? I'm just saying, that is a cool story. No doubt about it. And you say, well, I don't have a story like that. You know what you have a story of? Look at the people that you grew up around. And maybe you said, I was raised in the church, and I always had a good family, and I accepted Jesus at a young age, and and God has been good to me. Look at the other people that were in the same level as you, and look what has happened to their lives. God has protected you from so many things. Maybe you're the first generation to ever not be an alcoholic in your family. Maybe you're the first generation to ever not to have good, healthy relationships in your family. You're the first generation to not see, or you see you know, all these people that are struggling with their lives and, and they're committing suicide and things like that, and you say, without God in my life, I would be just like them. We're not looking down on them. We're just saying, by the grace of God, the only hope I have is Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, the only hope they have is Jesus Christ. You have a testimony to tell, just like this man. Your response should be, how can I tell people about what Jesus has done and what he continues to do? And right now, find, pray this week, God, give me an opportunity that I may share who I am in Christ. That I may share, like this man right here, I may go back to my friends. And they may not believe it at first, but they're going to see a change in you and they're going to say, what happened to you? What's different about you? God, give me that opportunity. Lord, we thank you today for this. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we just thank you for the the fact that you set people free. We thank you for the fact, God, that there is no one on this earth, whether they are possessed by thousands of demons, God, or, or God following down the wrong path, whatever they are, they can be set free by you. And you are constantly in search of people to set free. Let us be your ambassadors. Like you sent out the man set free from demons. Send us out, God, to set, to, so that you can set people th- free through us. Let us be the carriers of your spirit, God, so that we may see people transformed. Let them know, God, that there is hope in this world of evil. Where we wake up every day, we see the news, we see the horrible things, and we say, how can this evil exist? God, we know how it can exist because there's, Satan is, is prowling this earth looking to destroy people. But God, you're looking throughout the earth, look, using people to set people free. Let us be that church, let us be that people that sets people free. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Our prayer ministers are available, otherwise you are free to go.